As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. So they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. The Pharisees asked again of him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is such a sinner do such signs. And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? 
How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Thanks for reading that really short reading, guys. I really appreciate y'all. <laughs> that was so good, though. Uh, and one of the reasons I wanted to read that that whole chunk is, uh, as I studied this, a lot of the commentators um, that I read just said this is um, such a picture of the way God works in a person's life, this story. And so um, thank you, Bonham and Marcel, for reading that for us. Uh, welcome to Christ the King. My name is John Trapp. It's really great to have all of you here. Uh, if you're a first-time visitor or uh, a guest among us, particular welcome to you. Uh, you know, Houston can be a hard place to be known. Um, everyone in this city is, uh, seems like they're in a hurry. Uh, people competing for jobs, for influence, parking spots, maybe you felt that just a minute ago. Uh, but we want Christ the King to be a place where you can really slow down and hear about the God who knows you and hear his invitation to believe and live as if you are his beloved. So let's pray and ask that he would help us in that now. Lord, thanks for your word. Thanks for the gift of getting to hear it um, in your congregation. Lord, we pray that now you would um, open our ears and our hearts and our eyes um, to see your goodness. Uh, we can only do that with your help, as we even see in this story, and so we pray that you would help us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So we're continuing in our study of the book of John. We're still at the Feast of Booths. If you remember uh, the last couple of weeks, we have been at this Jewish feast when the people of God would come and gather and celebrate and remember how God showed up to them when they were living in booths, in these temporary um, temporary booths in the wilderness after they had gotten out of Egypt when God had freed them and they were wandering in the wilderness and they would remember when God had shown up to them uh, as light, a pillar of, of fire and light at night and cloud by day to guide them through the wilderness. And so this, um, this Jewish feast was held in Jerusalem and Jesus um, has been ministering during this feast and this now is the Sabbath day. And John is recording for us a miracle that Jesus did. John calls these miracles in his book signs. This is the sixth sign that Jesus has done in the book of John. And I want you to think about that word sign. What does a sign do for us? It points us to a destination. It points us where we are going. And John's signs are revealing to us not just that Jesus is claiming to be God. John's signs are revealing to us the kind of God that Jesus is claiming to be. John is telling us that Jesus, who he calls the word made flesh, is speaking to us in sign language. So what's John showing us about Jesus with this sign and what's Jesus saying about himself in sign language? A lot of y'all know uh, I was a youth pastor here uh, before I moved to Austin into campus ministry and then eventually came back to be the senior pastor. Uh, so about 10 years ago, uh, Joe Deegan, who was on staff with me, one of my best friends, he and I uh, took a group of students to Belize. And we actually acted out this story to a group of kids who had come for vacation Bible school in this little village called Pachacon. And there was about 150 kids gathered around in this sanctuary. And I want you to imagine it was you know, this not air conditioned, hot and sweaty, all these kids there. And we've got... Um, We've got our, kid, the, the, our students, our high schoolers, who are acting out this story that we find ourselves in. And we practiced it a couple of times, but really, you know, thrown it together. And so we had a student who was narrating. We had one, uh, one of our guys was pretending to be uh, the man who was born blind. And we had another one of our students who was acting as our Jesus for the story. So they went all, they were all in. I mean, our, our Jesus spat on the ground and literally got it and rubbed it in the high schoolers' eyes and the kids were like, you know. And then it's the moment that Jesus needs to deliver his line. But our Jesus in our story forgot his line. And there was this awkward silence. And then our Jesus looks over at Joe who had just led in music and was standing there and he's like, I do. And Joe tells him, reminds him the line, go wash in the pool. Jesus nods his head and then looks at this man and says, go wash, you fool. (laughs) And all those little kids' eyes just got big, like, whoa. (laughs) Jesus was grumpy. And uh, we, we, did, we had a little uh, maintenance to do after that, you know, get the story clear. And we, we, oh, we laughed so much about that. But I remember thinking about that later that night and thinking, that's how I think Jesus actually is a lot of the time. That Jesus looks at me and he, and 
he sees how I've messed up again. He sees what I've done once more and he looks and he says, go wash, you fool. Don't, don't we imagine Jesus that way? Don't we imagine God that way? That he's just kind of annoyed with us or disappointed with us? I think if we're honest, um, for many of us, that's how we imagine Jesus. But this sign shows us that Jesus is in fact the opposite of that. He's not an annoyed savior. He's a savior who yearns for his people, who seeks them out who has both the power to heal and also the heart to care for those who need the healing. And that's good news for people like us because this story is a sign to each one of us of how we need Jesus, the light of the world, to help us see. So three things I want you to see this morning. First, it's Jesus seeing. First point, Jesus seeing. Second, Jesus sending. And then third, seeing Jesus. Jesus seeing, Jesus sending, seeing Jesus. Uh, I've recently been going to uh, grief counseling to process uh, hearing loss. A lot of y'all know that I've um, suffered kind of onset, sudden, profound hearing loss about a year and a half ago. It's my third sermon, actually, preaching here at Christ's King. I woke up, couldn't hear anything in my right ear. I had a virus in my inner ear, lost all of my hearing. So I've been going to a counselor to just to process the grief of that and some of the anxiety that I've, I've had from that. And my counselor told me this week, One of the fundamental things that each one of us is asking ourselves in this world is this question, does anyone see me? You maybe asked that as you walked in this morning. Maybe you asked that when you walk into a classroom or a conference room or a dinner party. Does anyone really see me? And I think it's so beautiful that John begins this story in verse one, the story that he's going to tell about a man who gets his sight. And John makes sure to note that the first person who's doing the seeing is Jesus. You see that? John could have just said, there was a man born blind. But instead, he records, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Jesus sees this man because Jesus is looking for him. That's what we see all throughout the book of John is Jesus is looking for those whom his father has given him to come and rescue. So Jesus shows up in this feast and he's scanning. He's scanning for this man looking for him and he sees him. The disciples on the other hand, they don't even see the person. They see, they see an object lesson. They point out this man. Who was it who sinned and made him, made him that way? Was it him or his parents? And Jesus, uh, he pushes back against their assumptions and, and their either or logical fallacy that they're kind of stumbling into. And Jesus' pushback against this is consistent with what we see in the rest of the Bible, particularly in the book of Job even, where Job is suffering and his friends show up and they say, oh, well, it's because you did something and God's mad about it. And make no mistake, the Bible is clear that suffering in general exists because of our sin. And our sin can have consequences and even cause God to discipline us as a loving father. But Jesus himself warns us not to draw a direct line from suffering in someone's life to their specific sin that caused it. Uh, 
He does this in, elsewhere in scripture, like in Luke 13. There was this story about, um, that everyone there knew about a tower in Siloam that, that toppled over in this village called Siloam and it killed 18 people when it toppled over. And Jesus uses that as an example. He said, those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus is saying all of you are like the people that the tower fell on. And all, and all of us are like this blind man. Every single one of us are like this blind man in need of help. So Jesus doesn't see an object lesson like the disciples. He sees a person because he's been looking for him. And here we see Jesus doing what he does, looking for his people, finding people in the dark and in need and loving them before they can see him. That's what God does. That's why it's so great that Jesus comes looking for us. Do you see how how good that is that he sees us first? It means that you don't have to earn his affection. If he's found you, it's because he's had his affection on you before you even saw him and did anything to earn it. And we call this grace, y'all. This is grace Jesus acts in grace towards this man. This man hasn't done anything. He hasn't, it hasn't, it, he hasn't even believed. He hasn't even asked for a healing. And, and there's no preliminary condition that's said about this man. Like he's a really great guy. He's really kind. Everyone in the village loved him. There's nothing said like that about him. The only thing that we know about him is that he's blind. He's in need. And God acts not based on his merit, not based on our own merit, but to help in, for people in need. And we call this grace, which is a gift that's given that we do not earn. And for any Christian, this is your story. That before you did anything to merit the grace of God and his saving work in your life, God saw you. He saw you and he moved towards you in love. A good test for whether or not you believe this is how do you respond to needy people that God sends your way? Do you see yourself in them and want to give the same grace that you've received? Or do you look on them in judgment? I mean, if you think about if, if, if a needy person showed up in this congregation, or if, or if a person that's you know, kind of a known sinner, or maybe you don't even know them, but you just see the way that they dressed when they came to church. Did you see how short her dress was? Or how tight that dress was? I can't believe she would show up to a church like this. Did you see his blue jean shorts, his jorts that he walked into this church with? Now, this, this is, for, for many of us, our, this is our hearts. And, and if this is the, what, what comes out of our hearts, we need to ask ourselves, what do we believe God has actually done for us? Do we believe that we've somehow merited his favor? Because if we do, then we will begin looking down on others, thinking that we somehow are better than them. I mean, good grief. If you ask most people in our country, who are the most self-righteous, judgmental people? Kind of just 
class of people in our, in our country, what would many people say? Church folk. They would, wouldn't they? Not all of them, but a lot of them would say that. Why, why is it that we have earned that reputation? Do we believe that God has really been gracious to us? Or that we have somehow figured it out and been good enough to merit God's salvation and so we can look down on other people when they don't vote like us or they don't act like us or they don't look like us or they don't dress like us or they don't behave like us. So Jesus, Jesus we see, he acts in sheer grace towards this man and then he sends him, second point, Jesus sends the blind man to this pool called Siloam, which John is uh, clear to tell us means the word, means, means sent. Uh, archaeologists, you can actually go look it up. Archaeologists have recently uncovered the pool of Siloam in the last like 15, 20 years. It's in the lowest point in the city of Jerusalem and in terms of sea level. And so it was for many pilgrims who came to Jerusalem the very first place that they would go when they came to Jerusalem because they would go and that's where they would have their ritual cleaning before they went to the temple, which is why so many pilgrims were coming to Jerusalem to go worship God in the temple. They would start by going to the Pool of Siloam and they would cleanse themselves before ascending from the lowest point in Jerusalem to the highest point of Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, where they would go and they would worship God. So Jesus sends him to that pool. And then it says, like the understatement of all time, he came back seeing. Can you imagine what that guy was like when he came back seeing? He'd been blind from birth. And now, he, I mean, I just can imagine his face just walking through in total, utter amazement about this world that he's seeing for the very first time. It's probably why his neighbors aren't sure it's him. They don't even recognize him. His countenance. He's now in their midst and they're, they don't, they're not even sure that it's him. But Jesus sends this man to his neighbors. Where else does he send him? You see, it's one of the reasons I had Marcel and Bonham read this. He sends him all over the place to his neighbors, to the Pharisees, and then his parents, and then the Pharisees again. He's sending him all around. And I think it's because, one of the reasons, is I think it's because needy people make the best missionaries. Sinners make the best missionaries. People who've needed help make the best missionaries. Even in the last year and a half since I, since I lost my hearing, a couple of y'all have reached out to me when you've had someone that you know who's dealing with a similar thing. Maybe they've lost their hearing for a temporary bit of time. And so you've reached out to me and said, hey, who, what doctors did you go to? What treatment did you, did you have? What do they need to do? You know what? No one reached out to me about that kind of thing until a year and a half ago. Why? Because I, I've like been through that trial. And I know people that you should talk to. Think about if you struggle with insomnia, do you want to go and talk to somebody who's just a great sleeper? <laughs> I mean, they just sleep like a baby. Maybe you should talk to them so you can sleep like them, right? You don't want to go talk to them. You want to go talk to somebody who also has struggled with insomnia, maybe for a long time, but they've started to get some help and they've got some places where you should go and check out. That's who you want to go talk to to somebody who knows where the help is. So why is it then that in the church, 
we think that the best people to tell about Jesus are folks who have it all together, who carry themselves like they are sinless. Why do we think that that's how we have to carry ourselves to our kids or to our families that we want to know Jesus? Sinners make the best missionaries. Those who don't have it all together are the ones who can point to where they have received help and hope. So twice this man who was once blind is sent before the Pharisees to talk about the one who has brought him into the light. Jesus sends this blind man to men that Jesus says are blind. They are blind to the grace of God. And there is no more dangerous place to be than to be blind and to think that you can see. I read a story once about an older uh, woman who was living in New York City in Manhattan. She had lost uh, her sight as she aged and spent most of her time in her apartment in Manhattan. But every once in a while, she would walk across the street to the market that was across the busy street from her to get any kind of, uh, any kind of things that she needed for her day-to-day life. And usually, when she would go, she would go out to the street's corner and just call out somebody. Hey, would anyone mind helping a little old lady across the street? Someone would help her. And so on this day, she went out, called out, and, this, and I could feel all the people pressing in around her. Would anyone mind helping a little old lady across the street? And she heard the voice of a young man saying, I'll walk across with you. And they get across the street, and they can hear the horns honking as they kind of slowly get across, and everyone else has gone on. They get across the street, and the little old lady turns to the young man. She says, thank you for helping a little blind old lady across the street. And the man paused, and then she heard him say, and thank you for helping a young blind man across the street. (laughs) Yep, they were both blind. (laughs) And, And they laughed about it and talked about it and then kind of went their separate ways. How many times do you think they wanted to do that simulation again? I mean, it worked the one time. But there is, there is no more dangerous place to put yourself in than to be blind and to be led by somebody who's blind. And that's what's happening in Israel. The Pharisees who are blinded by their own self-righteousness They are blinded to their need for grace. They are so blinded that they are looking and sneering at this man who has just received sight and sneering about Jesus who's giving it to him because he hasn't abided by their law, not God's law, their law. You see, they had added to to God's law particularly the fourth commandment in this instance about what it meant to honor the Sabbath. And they had made up some rules for what it meant to not work on the Sabbath, one of which was to not need, K-N-E-A-D, like you would need bread or need something together, not needing on the Sabbath. What had Jesus done when he healed this man? He spat in the dirt and he made mud. And the Pharisees didn't like it. He had broken their law. He had healed a man. He had broken their law. You see, we can become so blinded by our self-righteousness that we're blinded to the goodness of God. And the Pharisees are forgetting the context in which God even gave them the fourth commandment in the first place. Exodus 20, 
What's happened to God's people? He has rescued them from 400 years of slavery. He has brought them out of Egypt. And now he is giving them the law. But before he does, Exodus 20 verse 1. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he begins, you shall have no other gods before me. So before God gives them the law, what does he remind them of? His grace, his salvation, that he's brought them out of Egypt. He doesn't come to them in Egypt and say, you shall have no other gods before me. Do not lie, do not steal. Once you do all these commandments, do these 10 commandments and then I'll rescue you. What God does is he gives salvation first, grace first, and then he welcomes into a life of obedience because he loves them, because he loves us, because he knows that a life of obedience to him is actually the best way to live. His law is given because of his love for us and to reveal to us that we need his salvation. We need his help and his grace. But they're blind. They're blind in their self-righteousness and they ask, they ask Jesus what he thinks about them in verse 40. Are we blind? Jesus says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. In other words, if you would just admit that you're blind, you'd start seeing I'd give you sight, I'd give you grace. If you would just admit that you need help, I would pour it onto you. But it's their own self-righteousness that's blinding them. It's making them blind. But what happens when we really do see Jesus? And I want you to see, final point, what happens with this man who actually for the majority of the story actually hasn't seen Jesus. He hasn't seen Jesus until he's cast out of the temple, which would have been a a massively socially violent act against like the the rest of his life. Like he, it would have changed the trajectory of his life. He's been kicked out. He's an outcast. They tell him in verse thirty-four, "You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us." They cast him out. They cast him out even though they're forgetting what what the Pharisees' own scriptures say, Psalm 53. They They sung this in their temple. There is none who does good, not even one. They're forgetting that they too have been born in utter sin. But they cast him out. And look at verse 35. What does Jesus do to the to the outcast? It's so beautiful. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? What does Jesus do when he hears they cast him out? He goes looking for him. Because that's what Jesus does with the outcast. He goes and he looks for us and he finds us. And Jesus goes and he finds this man and he reveals to this man the destination that the sign's been pointing to. Sir, who's the Son of Man? Jesus is like, you're looking at him. You're seeing him. It's me. And what does he do? He worships Jesus. When he finally sees Jesus 
and all of his goodness and his grace. He's come and found him when he was outcast, that he saw him and loved him before before the, the blind man ever loved Jesus back, when he sees Jesus for who he really is, when he sees the one that the signs have been pointing to, it says he worships him. The poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning talks about the signs in our world. She says, earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush a fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. Oh, that the master would give us the eyes to see him. The Lord Jesus would first see us like he saw that man born blind, born blind and begging in the streets of Jerusalem. That he would come after us and catch us up and open our eyes to see all his wonders. And that all of his wonders would help us to see him like signs point to our great destination, to Jesus Oh, that he'd send his Holy Spirit to help us see him either for the first time or afresh again this morning. Because when we see him for who he really is, when we see Jesus for who he really is, we can't help but do what that blind man did upon seeing Jesus for the first time. He fell down. He fell down on the same Jerusalem dirt Jesus had used to heal him and he worshiped the one who saw him first. He had washed in the pool of Siloam, but instead of going up to the temple mount at the top of the city, he was now worshiping at the new temple. The new dwelling place of God with man, the word made flesh, Jesus of Nazareth. And friends, that is what we do every Sunday. We worship the one who first saw us when we were blinded by our sin and self-righteousness. The one who came after us and who does not stop pursuing us because of his grace. The song we're about to sing uh, was written by a man named Robert Robinson. Come Thou Fountain. Flip over to it if you want to look at it. And Robinson describes some of his, of his life in this story. He, he was converted. Rob, I love this. Robinson was converted in the 1700s. He went to go. Um, there was a man who was preaching in London named George Whitfield. And Robinson and his buddies were going to go heckle George Whitfield. And then he heard the good news of Jesus and Jesus opened his eyes and he became a Christian. And Robinson, who in this story describes himself as a man who was prone to wander away from God, was converted and became a pastor. He wrote this song at the age of 23. But later in his life, he actually stopped following Jesus. And there, he tells a story about one day riding in a stagecoach and he was sitting next to a woman in London in this stagecoach, it was just the two of them. And this woman was reading a hymn book and in the providence of God, not realizing who it was that she spoke with, the woman shared the song that she was singing or that she was reading and she read it aloud to Robert Robinson and told him how encouraging the song Come Thou Fount was to her. And she asked him what he thought of the hymn she, was, she had been humming. And he said, Madam, I am the poor unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. To which she replied, Sir, the streams of mercy are still flowing. And he repented. Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God of love. That is us. But God does not wonder 
No, he comes looking for the blind, for the needy, for the sinner, and he sees us and he rescues us. What about you? Has he rescued you? If he hasn't, he will. Just ask him. All you need is need. And if he has rescued you, then let's respond like the praise of the man who was once blind, but now sees. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your good word that reveals to us more of who you are. We pray that we would worship your word made flesh now, who is risen and ascended and seated at your right hand. May you receive all the glory. We pray in Jesus' name.